0: Welcome to our podcast. If you enjoy this segment, we encourage you to check out the others. Also, if you're new to Hedgeye, you qualify for a special discount on one of our Hedgeye investing products. Email customer service director Matt Moran at mmoran at hedgeye.com. That's M-M-O-R-A-N at hedgeye.com.
1: I'm Keith McCullin. Welcome back. It's going to be a good day. As we like to say, we're going to have a good day. Uh, good, good friend of Yale hockey, one of the great uh, Yale alumni out there, Jim Chanos, thank you for for spending some time with us today. I know that the audience is, is is quite excited about this discussion. Well, glad to be back. Yeah, it's good to have you back. Now, I, I have to start, and I started with this with Carson Block yesterday, and we could talk a little bit about about him as well, uh, but more so top down. You know, I've been short selling for 20 years. You've been doing it at, uh, for a lot longer than that. And, 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 and we're in this moment in time where, where all these different narratives compete with actual numbers. Uh, it can be frustrating. It can be exciting. I, I like to think of it as an, an exciting moment in time where, you know, making short selling great again is, is pretty straightforward. There are a lot of different opportunities. But I wanted to, you know, you know fully loaded, just kind t- of you know, take your pulse on, on the kind of short selling environment we have relative to the ones that you may have seen before.
2: Well, I guess uh, I guess I could uh, uh segue into that by by mentioning uh what Carson uh, said somewhat memorably yesterday uh on your uh in your interview, uh that he, he sort of likes to he he basically leans into short selling he's he likes to F around. <laughs> and uh sadly I think for short selling for the last ten years, uh short sellers have mostly been the F E, not the F er. <laughs> and uh but uh I think that that's, you know, a lot of us, a lot of us exhaustion is setting in because things have gotten in our corner of the world, uh, silly and then sillier. Um, and what we're seeing now is really the, uh, the advent of just all kinds of questionable business models being promoted and going public. And, uh, it's not, it's not about Apple. Um, it's about, uh, you know, space travel. And I think that, that, it's a big difference in terms of the speculative environment a few weeks ago um, or a few, uh, a few years ago versus today. Um, you've got a, a much, much more speculative element uh, in the markets really since late last year. Since I think when you and I sat down the last time, you saw the advent of uh, retail speculation starting in the fourth quarter of 2019, pre-COVID. And it's continued right on through 2020, which is making this year so sort of fantastic um, in terms of the swings in the marketplace and the valuations on really questionable businesses, uh, things that that you and I would probably laugh about (laughs) 10 years ago. Um, Could you believe people did this in 2099? And they're not only doing it again, but they're doing it in magnitudes greater amounts.
1: Yeah, and we'll get into that in particular on on the specs. I mean, that's a, a blazingly obvious one to many of us. Uh, but just to take a step back on like market structure and what's been frustrating for a, for a long time uh, for short sellers, slide four guys, is just this shift. You know, where we have the indices. To your point, it's you know used to be actually all about Apple and Microsoft and the five stocks driving the index. So you'd have a tough time fighting that market beta. Uh, but then, you know, post that, you know, that 80, 85 percent of daily trading volume was systematic at one point pre uh, the hoodies coming into the game. Now, 15 to 20 percent of it, I would just say, isn't that just the point? You know, whether it's 50 or 70 million uh, retail brokerage accounts interacting on the edges of volume every day, that's what's really perpetuated it. I mean, you, you, they chase narratives. I mean, you've seen outright frauds being chased. You've seen bankruptcy stocks being chased. It's, it's. I've never seen anything like this in 20 years.
2: Well, in, in in more, shall we say, normal markets, uh, pretty strong evidence of wrongdoing at a company will generally put a valuation black cloud over something and, and the bulls and bears can argue. But in this environment, similar to, again, certain periods we've seen in the past, uh, the advent of a negative story is actually a positive. Um, <laughs> it's a positive factor. And, and, and so a short interest is a positive factor. Um, uh, people pointing out, uh, accounting irregularities is a positive factor and it's only when the companies admit to it themselves, a la Wirecard or Luckin, um, that you get, you get the re-rating and then it happens all at once. But up until then, now companies are getting the benefit of the doubt in any, any questionable story.
1: Yeah, that- That's unusual. Yeah, and if you guys, you can show that. That's actual data. Jim is obviously always uh, actuarially talking about numbers as opposed to narratives. He'll, he'll mix the narrative in with, with that, with the numbers. But if you show factor exposures, I mean, high short interest as a factor exposure has been just an epic long. I mean, it's up 20, over 23% in the last six months. So it's a big thing for us to fight. But that's yep. also, that's also why I say, Jim, like I'm excited about it. Like when I see a stock like Nikola, where it's actually now not even a debate – I mean, you have all you have to deal with now is, is you know, is the short interest and dealing with that day to day. But I mean, it's it, it could be a moment in time. I mean, most bubbles, as you know, I mean, they're only obvious when you look backwards and a bubble is something that stops going down and then makes a lower high and then starts to go down faster. And that's actually what the Nasdaq just started to do or a lot of these kind of story stocks started to do today. And I think it's kind of a very interesting day to be having that discussion as a result. Do you agree or disagree? Do you think it's going to be tough sledding into the end of the year or, or it's kind of an open hunting season finally? Well, first of all, let me correct you, Keith. Uh, Nicola hasn't revealed any fraud this week. Okay. okay. <laughs> so, uh, <we've laughs>
2: Fair point. I yeah. think it's on firmer than, than you might think. Um, yeah, I, I mean, they, look at No one ever knows i i I remember uh, in in march of 2000 um the market just started going down and and, uh there wasn't a a catalyst uh the fed had not raised rates it was raising rates uh during that whole period um and there was no corporate announcement but come around march 10th or 9th i'm forgetting the exact day the market just stopped going up and started going down and it was an intergalactic bull market peak. We just didn't know it. But again, um, there were no catalysts. There were no. There were no. In hindsight, oh yeah, it was obvious that week that things were going to uh, change. And we don't know. I mean, I. I who knows? I mean, I, I, I tried to try to avoid, you know, uh, picking market tops and bottoms because I'm not very good at it. But. Um, Certainly things are getting sillier and sillier and sillier. You, you mentioned the bankruptcy stocks. Um, we've got this this incredible SPAC mania going on where companies that couldn't dream of going public and couldn't pass an underwriter's test um, now are, are, are able to go public seamlessly through a SPAC. I think we're getting about four or five filings a day now. I think we're up to that. Um, and so the one thing I do know from my 40 years is that given enough time, Wall Street will do a very, very good job in creating supply
1: for people that want to pay up for uh, questionable or worthless assets. Wall Street creating supply. That's a great way to think about it. It's also they've also they create demand on the narrative side uh, politically. Now, you had some thoughts on this Kudlow uh, reveal. It's not like you you could see it happening. You just needed somebody to report it just so you have the names and the numbers and whatever. But that's that's disgusting. Let's, I, I, I think it's disgusting. Do you agree or not? And, and what part of that? Like we have we actually have uh, uh, an administration that's trying to prop the frickin thing up every day.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, that, I think the story crystallized what that story crystallized for me is is just the political um, divergence that we have and and sort of the feeling out there amongst the general public that the game is rigged look I, you know, David Tepper, who's mentioned in the article and who's a friend mentioned on CNBC you know in, uh, around the Super Bowl that you know he was getting concerned about coronavirus. Uh, so and, and lots of hedge were beginning to talk about it at the very end of January early February. But the problem is is that I think what crystallized that story and and uh, people know my political leanings um, uh, but it's just the feeling that uh, the public was getting one set of briefings, uh, from White House spokesman, not to worry, it's mostly contained or all contained. Uh, and then uh, and then uh, donors and uh, insiders were getting a different set of, uh, of of more worrisome briefings inside the White House. And it just gets to the whole idea of of just that's out there, both on the left and the right, that there's two systems here. There's a system for the corporate class, the financial class, and then there's a system for everybody else. And I think that that and COVID has just made that worse.
1: Well, it's, it's certainly made like the feedback I get, I, I interface, as you know, with a lot of money managers across, you know, you know different strategies. And there's a class of just kind of like, I don't know how else to say it other than like, ha ha, you know, Keith, you're an idiot. You're not plugged into when this is going to happen. And that really pisses me off. Like, <laughs> you know how I am. I mean, I just don't. Like so, I side with you know the people, and I always have tried to you know, and, and, and I think that that's that's what the country's all about. But I mean, how does that does it matter? Like I mean, really, the ha ha comment is like, yeah, oh. you, you know, embrace the game, suck it up, I and it.
2: yeah, and, and, and it's, it would obviously it gets back to the you know, would you rather would you rather be right or righteous or or make money? But but it also gets back to the tail risk. If you want to be a really, you know, a wise guy about it, and and that torches and pitchforks are undervalued, um, and, and that that uh, continue this, you continue this type of political animus where the the uh, the one percent or the elite are brought under the tent and everybody else is left to fend for themselves. History tells us that's. Uh, that's not a tenable position for a long, long period of time.
1: No, you don't want to be in the tower when the square is getting fired up at this at this at this pace. Um, okay, let's just hit on a couple topics. I mean, one in particular that you uh, just brought up specs. Yeah, I mean, the accountability yeah. is, seems to be zero. There are some you know, that we have found. Uh, hopefully, our research analysts are right. There are not, you know, frauds. They're actually. You know, pretty, pretty good stories that have underlying cash flows and assets, kinds of things that we would like. Um, but, but there are a, a lengthening list, to your point, just by virtue of the numbers of issues um, you know, out there where it's just I, yeah, I, don't, I don't know what else to say. CNBC trots these people out and they, they pump their and pump and dump on their book. I don't know about the dump side, but there's certainly the pumping going on.
2: <laughs> well, the, to talk about SPACs, you also have to marry that with the other concept that's driving of the narrative side of the stock market, and that's TAM, um, total addressable market. Because a lot of the 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 more egregious back stories are TAM stories, right? That that there are there's no profitability, but there is this monster market that if their if their algorithm, their piece of software, whatever it is that's got people excited, um, works, that it's just a ridiculous amount of money that they can capture from these giant markets. So think about, think about WeWork, which never got public, uh, uh, disrupting uh, the subleasing of office space. Um, Think about uh, Lyft and Uber, which had a TAM, a monstrous TAM when they went public of disrupting basically all types of transportation. Uh, And now you're getting to kind of the the absurd stuff. Um, And we always look for companies where the business model itself is inherently and structurally unprofitable but they try to dress it up as a as a, some sort of network effect tam story so consider a recent spec by a well-known promoter that is now in the house flipping business <laughs> and um and so they've taken a company that will digitally buy your house and and uh and have built a story around this and merged it into their spec now we have we have companies already doing this zillow which is publicly traded you know, it has a house flipping business and it loses money on every house um, and makes it up on volume. And when you have business models that have discrete money losing aspects to that, that have no network effect, mainly you, you lose money on every widget, but make it up on volume, you have a bad business. And if you flip houses for losses or you sell used cars at a loss, or you make bad loans to bad credits, your TAM is almost infinite. People will flock to do business with you. 100%. And so when people, when people value these companies on revenues or potential revenues, you have to understand that the revenues are inherently unprofitable. Give away $20 bills for $10 on the street corner. You will have an incredible growth rate. Um, and, and so this is trying to separate the wheat from the chaff. Really, right now, they're all going up right? The, the legitimate businesses are going up with the absurd money losing, structurally money losing businesses. And so you know, t- it's going to take some patience, I think, um, and structure in your portfolio to figure out what to be long and what to be short. But uh, there certainly is no shortage now of crazy TAM stories. Uh, <laughs> one of my favorites is the sports betting market. I mean people have just discovered sports betting and uh, you know i'm guessing you and the boys have put a few wagers on games you know maybe once or twice in your life um the sports betting uh total revenues in the u.s sports betting market last year was under a billion dollars that's that's the win not the handle that's the amount that the companies kept not the amount in bet um it's probably going to be closer to two billion this year and we have roughly 40 percent of all the states doing sports betting. But the total U.S. gambling market's $80 billion. It's been growing at about 2 percent a year forever, basically growing with inflation. Um, now the, the TAM for sports betting alone, if you believe the bulls over the next five to 10 years, is supposed to go to $30 billion. Well, that $30 billion is going to come out of probably the general gambling take. Um, it's not going to be additive and so i i I look at these things and say okay well you you basically are thinking there's going to be a 30-fold increase in the market um to justify the valuations and a lot of these companies will still be losing money five years into this growth rate and and sports betting uh is is interesting if you ever go to a casino and keith i don't know if you've ever been to a casino (laughs) but the wallace the smallest amount of real estate in any casino and the least least attractive amount of real estate, in any casino is the sports book. It's the least profitable part of any casino. Yeah. The, uh, the win percent yep. is about five to 6% versus 13%, uh, 9% overall for a casino and 13% for slots. So again, this is not a great business. Sports betting is not a great business. Uh, I don't know of any bookies, um, Who've gotten fabulously wealthy, you know, booking sports bets. Um, it's so, it's it's an amazing it's amazing to me. But we've now created a TAM story around uh, around people betting on football. Well, it's, I, I uh, mean,
1: depending on what your proclivities are and your the risks you're willing to take to take on an orange jumpsuit for life, um, you know, there being a certain kind of a bookie can be uh, quite profitable to, to 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 a certain person, but. Um, not as a public company. I mean, it's it's you know, I'm assuming that you're short DraftKings. Is that is, is this the name? Well,
2: I, 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 I'm not going to mention what we we are short. Uh, some of the casino companies, I will say, say that because uh, they've got they've got additional problems, um, particularly the Las Vegas casinos. And I've been a big bear on on uh, the Vegas casinos for a while now, yeah. n- not because of covid. Uh, Covid has certainly made it worse, but there just is more and more competition for what was uh, Las Vegas, which was a unique destination uh, for years and years and years. Atlantic City is is uh, was never really competition for Las Vegas. And uh, and Las Vegas expanded well beyond gambling about 20 years ago with Mm -hmm. the advent of the Bellagio and the Mirage. and, uh, and, and now it became a place to go have dinner, have great restaurants, nightclubs, pools, you know, that whole thing. Well, I'm talking to you from Miami. Miami has that right now without the gambling. Yeah. Um, millennials aren't big gamblers. And so the peak for strip casino gaming revenue was 2007. Mm-hmm. And so Vegas has had to basically compete on everything else, um, conventions, pools. But again, it's a no growth market and um, and people are putting increasing multiples on the casino stocks because they're hoping they're going to get online and do a lot of other things. But if you actually look at the fundamentals, the numbers, um, they're stunningly bad. And uh, I think sports betting is going to is going to grow pretty rapidly for the next couple of years as the states implement it. But once you get 30, 40 states um, implementing it, you'll you'll see the market slow down. And it's not as if we don't have online gambling. Uh, the UK and the EU have had it for years. Yeah. And uh, William Hill yeah. William Hill just got basically is just being bought out at a fraction of the price of where the US guys trade at. It's not as if this, this, isn't, uh, this isn't a known market. Um, if, if we gamble as much as the uh, Brits do or the Aussies do, two of the most gambling-mad you know, societies out there, Ah, uh, the total amount of win in U- U.S. sports betting will be about four or five billion dollars, uh, and that's if we gamble as much as as the
1: Brits and the Aussies. Right. I think and that's. So, a- I think the thirty billion number. Yeah, the the TAM, I mean, when you reverse engineer the TAM, that's the best way to start with these shorts, at least, like, you know, our analysts would certainly agree with that. Uh, MGM's a stock that we're short, so that, I think, kind of fits the profile of having a, a, a significant exposure to the Strip. Or you're just, yeah, there are a lot of businesses like that, Jim, where, you know, Baby Boomer's product is not, to your point, what millennials you know, would consider something that they want to go smoke some darts and you know, you know, you know, twist the handles on on slot machines. That's just not what they're doing. Um, so there's there's a lot of of, of of evidence. Like at least we would say. I guess um, you know, back to, you're not going to give me the ticker on that. Uh, I put in flip for the house flipping uh, SPAC, but I couldn't. Uh, ironically, nobody has the ticker flip. Um, you know, that's not a ticker. That's that's not somebody that something's picked, somebody's picked. But I think I think it still
2: has the. I still think it has the uh, the ticker of of the uh, the. The holding company they haven't changed yet uh it's IPOB. IPOB. um but uh yeah yeah okay but uh and and the company is open door now but uh
1: now what a name again, for a company that is it says is, social capital head of what i mean that is um head yeah, of sophia it's, it's a, that's got a long name yeah
2: it's it's uh it's a yeah it's a well-known promoters companies so all of his companies mm-hmm. have that name
1: oh cool Sounds cool. <laughs> you and, can look it up. <laughs> I did. Um, all right. Well, yeah. On on something um, you know that sounds like the, the way that you explained. Uh, I'm going to sell you something for X and just lose money on it perpetually, but tell you the TAM is large. I mean, I think we all know you know what company has done that with the most market cap currently today, um, which is Tesla. So I mean, you know that thing. Um, like I have, I, I actually just shorted it today because um, I'm like you know this thing. This actually fits my profile, which is what I said, Jim, which is it, it finally stops going up. That's identifiably my four kids could tell you when the bubble pops, you know, in the yard, they got to blow another one. And um, yeah, it makes a lower high. And now it's sitting there and it's the short interest has actually fallen. Uh, it's, and, no, and a lot of people are scared to short that stock. I mean, most people are scared to short that stock. Um, <laughs> For <one> reason. <laughs> Are reason. Well, but, at least the recommendation I gave you
2: last year worked out so well. Um, it's uh, look, this one. This is the poster child. Hey, you know, we're still short. Uh, this is the poster child for this bull market. I, I don't care what anyone says. Uh, this is this is the stock upon which investors, TAM investors, retail investors, algorithm investors, everybody is put, putting their hopes and dreams on this one company. And, and, you know, it's not just, it's not just uh, EVs. It's the whole ESG mania, which he fits in perfectly. I'm I'm the green company leader, um, and 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 when you tell somebody it's a car company, they'll tell you it's a tech company, um, but then they'll point to their sales of cars in China, and and so it it's it's like this this piece of mercury that just constantly moves around. Every time you try to just say, well, you know, look, it doesn't make money um, selling fifty thousand dollar cars uh and never has um then it, people will transition to oh well it's an energy company or <laughs> it's a, now i love the latest one it's a battery company a battery company um, well, when you point out battery that company. battery companies trade, yeah battery companies trade at you know eight times earnings in japan and korea uh, <laughs> you know well then now you don't get it because they've reinvented the battery and i joked when they had battery day a few weeks ago that there were no batteries at battery day they literally didn't show anything <laughs>
1: And that was so, like when they. I mean, uh, this
2: is, so this. Go ahead. Yeah, this is a narrative. This is not. A, this is a narrative. It's a four hundred and fifty billion dollar narrative. It's. It's really. You can't justify it any way, shape, or form, uh, in terms of the fundamentals at this point. So it's hopes and dreams. Um, I, I pointed out, I think, on Twitter about a month ago, there was an analyst who raised his price target, uh, some ridiculous amount of money, or percent. And uh, he hiked his revenue figure um, some just dramatically going out five years. And then when you looked at his discounted cash flow analysis, uh, he hadn't increased his capex spending um, for all the factories that were needed to get to that revenue number. And, and you know, it, this is what's passing for analysis these days. And nobody cared that they just just I'm going to change numbers because the stock price is higher. But I can't really tell you how I get there. Um, because you can't get
1: there. Yeah, you don't need to get there. It's just like you you didn't. And you you haven't needed to get there. Yeah, what's interesting about that one, I mean, it's most recently found its way, and I'm not sure if you're uh, familiar with it, but the Goldman Hedge Fund Hotel longbook, which is basically uh, the ETF, the GVIP, So I'm like looking at this thing, I'm thinking, okay, you know, I think the bubble's starting to pop. You know, I do have a view on that, you know, because I'm still young enough to screw it up another time. But I mean, it's it's it's, you know, or maybe not, you know. So I'm looking at this hedge fund hotel book and Tesla is the number one long. Okay, so it's the number one holding in the GVIP, the ETF is Tesla. So it's not just um and there, there are a lot of different ways that you could say that 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 that, that came to be. You could say well hedge funds you're know, kind of in the haha trade, you know, it's got price momentum, it's got the attributes that the that the machine itself likes uh and they don't really care for the analysis, they're just playing the momentum. Um or, or a series of other reasons that 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 could be. But it's different than the sell side being negligent on the numbers. I mean that that's the buy side, right? That's I'm going to put my LPs in this because of price momentum. And we're just going to run over Jim Chanos and the rest of the people that are, you know, like ha. <laughs>
2: well, I would, I would be, be curious. I think, I, I think I could be wrong. Someone could check this. I think it might have been in the Goldman Sachs short basket a year ago, uh, most heavily shorted stocks. A year ago, or, or H yeah. one short basket. A
1: year ago, uh, yeah. I yeah. would, I, yeah. I, 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 I'd, I'd have, uh, don't need to fact check that to, to believe that. Um, but, now, but, but now it's in every price momentum basket on the long side. And the only thing you need to eradicate price momentum, as you know, is high and rising volatility. So I can't for the life of me say, like, why wouldn't I short one of the biggest, you know, basically story stocks in the history of humanity? Uh, this would be like, like tulips had as good of a story as this, I'm sure. But, you know, there was no machine perpetuating the upside. It still went there. You you end up with a place, as long as NASDAQ volatility has got a three in front of it, why wouldn't you short Tesla? I mean, the catalyst to me is that it's going down. Let's start there. Do you think that that's, that, that, that's a fair point, like uh, as a catalyst? Because people are going to say, Jim, what's your catalyst?
2: Yeah, I mean, again, it, 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 every market is different. But this market analog to me most resembles you know, early 2000. And they they just, they started going down and, and and. Although the S&P, I think, made a higher high uh, in, in summer or fall of 2000, NASDAQ didn't, and the story stocks really didn't. Um, and every, every leg down uh, on the S&P, they went down sort of 2X to 3X. Um, people forget, the, the, the S&P was down 40% from peak to trough in 2002, and NASDAQ was down 80%. So it was every bit as bad, if not worse, than the uh, GFC in 08 09. And, uh, I think that, that we'll have to see, I mean, we have much more leverage right now, given the call volume trading that's happening at retail. Yeah. And, uh, and so I, you know, this thing could, could, could any of these story stocks could, uh, could drop, uh, uh, very quickly, um, on a change of sentiment and, um, we'll just have to see, we'll just have to see uh, how that plays out. But I do think I do think it's it's hard to ignore that Tesla is the, the, the one stock that, that people are putting hopes and dreams on and sort of disregarding the the, the, the sort of ugly fundamentals of the car business.
1: Yeah, four hundred and fifty billion actually today it's four when I shorted it I had to make sure that it still had a four in front of it. Four hundred and nineteen billion. Um, and I'll remember that. We'll see, you know, let's let's see. Um, and one one big pushback people have, and this is a great tweet that you had the other day. I think you're tweeting it at a guy named Joe, I think I know who he is, um, on October the 7th, a lot of people will say, well, you, you know, it's the Fed. You've got to buy Tesla. Um, okay. Uh, whatever. But someone, you, you, you tweeted, someone please tell Joe that the Fed bailed out markets and banks in 2020, 2008, 1998, LTCM, 1990s, SNLs, and 1982, the third world. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think you're the only short seller alive that was short selling, like, successfully in all those periods. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I
2: started in 82. Uh, I started, right. I, I, was a, I was an investment banker for two years. And then I, I, I decided to get on the straight and narrow and go into short selling at the market bottom in 82. So <laughs> that gives you a sense of my market time. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I remember all those. And I, I remember, you know, that we've been having, we've been having bailouts now for uh, every, every sort of, uh, you know, eight to 10 years.
1: Yeah, that's not the buy signal. That is the beginning of the end signal. Uh, and I've been fortunate. I've only, um, I've only, only uh, been able to trade through three of those. This being the third, um, IBM. This actually surprised me when I was doing when I was getting my kind of prep pack on on yeah. you. You know this. Um, yeah. Those kinds of slow moving animals, uh, I quite like shooting at uh, personally. I, but I didn't know what the wrap was on that.
2: Yeah, IBM is so so. You know, we love the we love the the conceptual, you know, uh, lose money on every transaction stories, but but those are all discreetly very small positions because they have to be. Yep. But one of my favorite positions, one of our largest positions is good old IBM, a company nobody's ever heard of. And um, it's really interesting story because it's it's the ultimate value trap and it's been the ultimate value trap. We were short this thing back in, in 2014, 2015, when we realized that there was no way Ginni Rometty could deliver on $20 a share and the real earnings were well lower than that, and they would have to reset expectations. And in fact, that's exactly what she did in 2015 and 2016, and and fessed up that the real earnings power of the company was really $10. And the stock went from 200 to 120. We covered our short. Um, Fast forward to today, Uh, Ginny has been kicked to up to executive chairman. Uh, Arvind Krishna is the new CEO. He's an IBM pretty much lifer. Um, But here's the interesting part of the story. If you look at IBM's economic earnings, what we call economic earnings, they're supposed to earn about $11 this year, $12 next year, $13 in 2022. If you look at operating income, plus IP royalties, minus interest, taxed at 21%, the current number is about $6.40. Wow. IBM has made the remaining $4 on tax credits and all kinds of one-time items. The number is going to be probably $5 and something next year and $4 and something in 2022. IBM normally trades at 10 times its earnings. Uh, it's currently t- trading at, at, at more than uh, 10 times the, uh, the uh, expected estimates. But the reality is this company is earning half of what they're saying they're wow. earning. And the question is, how do you bridge that gap? It's one thing to turn 640 into $10 and change. It's another thing to turn $5 uh, into 12 and $4 into 13 in the next two years. Mm. So we thought, that the, we thought the company would have to reset expectations and the new CEO would come in and do what Ginny did in 2015, 2016 and say, look, the cloud is actually hurting us. Um, IBM is the anti-cloud company. As much as they claim they're a cloud company, the cloud is killing them. You know, revenues are declining every quarter year over year and they've cut all the costs they can cut. That's why the operating earnings keep dropping. And so we thought they would reset expectations, cut the dividend, bring down expectations to reality, reset stock options for the executives in the C-suite, you know, because you can't get good executives at this company they get stock options and the stock just keeps melting lower over the years. Um, instead, he did the exact opposite a week or so ago. Yeah, They announced another Jr. Medi-like split where we're gonna spin off the crummy business, keep the good businesses. The problem is in most spinoffs, you spin off the crummy business and, and you keep the growth businesses. But IBM is so structurally impaired, they're spinning off the really bad business to keep the bad business. And, and, and so um, both businesses are going to be declining in revenues um, and, and this doesn't solve anything. But it, what it does do is enable them to take a bunch of charges, which they've already admitted they're going to do, uh, and, call them, uh, uh, and call them structural, and then add them back to adjusted earnings. So uh, we now know how they're going to try to bridge the gap in the next sort of 18 months uh, between the real operating earnings, which are gonna be five to $6, and the stated earnings, which are supposed to be you know, $12, um, they're gonna do it through charges of, of real operating costs and then claiming that these are extraordinary and then add them back to adjusted EPS. Um, this is just an accounting scam, and it's a really obvious one. All you need to do is just open up the 10 Qs and read the, read the numbers, and you'll see that IBM is earning literally half of only what they say they're earning.
1: Wow. And it, I mean, this thing only... Simple story. And, it, and it's got over $100 billion in market cap. It's got a 2% short interest. Oh, yeah. I mean, 2% short interest. And they're, uh, ostensibly, they're, the 5% dividend, I don't know if that's, I mean, you're saying that's obviously uh, not real, but they're going to try to pay it.
2: Yeah, no, and, and they shouldn't because... Obviously, what they're trying to do is thread the needle of not cutting the dividend. Um, they won't be covering the dividend as of next year from real operating earnings. Uh, they've got uh, a huge amount of debt here. I mean, this company uh, took on debt to buy Red Hat. Right. Um, uh, $34 billion. So There's almost $50 billion in debt. So the total enterprise value of this company is about $150 billion. Woof. Um, it, is, it is very large. Um, the uh, The debt... Is right now about six times, uh, give or take six times EBIT. This is this is a company that was triple A that is beginning increasingly to look too levered, um, and and then you just have the basic problem that any company where revenues in technology where revenues are declining four or five percent a year structurally um, is dying. I mean, tech companies should be growing or, or they or they die. This company is shrinking, and it's shrinking because it has a lot of legacy businesses that are just old, consulting businesses revolving around IBM-constructed systems that are just way, 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 way too antiquated. And as I joke, the cloud is actually their enemy. They are not in the cloud business. The cloud is their problem.
1: And it's amazing. I mean, it reminds me of, you know, again, not, not, not the same story, but the same of the same um, I guess the same meme, uh, which is General Electric. I mean, you you go back to that stock, yep. you know, versus where it is today. You know, these melting ice cubes and value traps, and you do a great job, like, antagonizing value investors. Cause again, if you don't just buy it cause it's cheap on the wrong numbers, you, I think you've, you've taught me that. I mean, uh, you know, the, you do a great job teaching at Yale and teaching to people, you know, this whole thing that you learn in business school about, I'm going to buy cheap stocks, I'm going to short expensive stocks. Like, even if you take the Jim Chanos view in its, in all of its singularity and say, <laughs> Hey, look! I have this view on TAM, and I'm basically still even going to fade that a little bit here because these guys don't even have any access to the to the cloud TAM. These guys are just the, they're going to melt away. I mean, that to me, I yeah, mean,
2: actually, yeah. yeah, All the money that's being poured into cloud and and and, and um, business business applications and so, you know software as a service actually hurts IBM. They don't. They they're not on that cutting edge. They're actually the roadkill. Everybody's going after their business. <laughs> and and that's the problem here and and they're just st- stuck in this 1960s 1970s 1980s mindset and can't can't get out of it and i think that that again all you need to do in ibm's case uh, is just look at the numbers read the read the 10k's read the 10q's and then just look at how much of the earnings are coming from below the bottom line I mean, this company has basically been barely paying any taxes for the last 10 years Wow. Now I know that there's, there's innovative tax planning you can do, but if you don't pay taxes for the last ten years, I'm going to say that you probably structurally aren't very profitable. <laughs> and, and, and just again, don't you don't have to believe me. Just go back and look at the numbers. Yeah. And, and so this is a company that that, that has been about financial engineering, um, and 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 not software engineering. And I think that's the real real problem with IBM. But but Keith it gets back to the numbers. I mean there are lots of interesting structural shorts that are that are basically still accounting shorts. Yeah. Where the the you can look at the look at the data. You know we as you know we've been short the fracking space since 2012, 2013 with Chesapeake Energy. And it still amazes me that when you look at the look at the financial statements of the domestic E&P companies um we're short continental resources an old favorite of mine have been we've been short this now for a number of years we talked about it I think one year at Seeking Alpha uh and these guys are writing off their capital base still over 14 years so everybody values the uh, energy space on EBITDA but if your depreciation and amortization is fanciful and anybody in the fracking business knows you the Wells don't have a 14-year life right they they, they decline massively in the first year and then tail off and if you're charitable if you're charitable you would say that that the the fields have a six or seven year economic life but practically it's actually much lower um but almost all of the companies have double digit lives on their depreciation schedule meaning 12 years 14 years 15 years ridiculous yeah. and it's just insane it just means that the whole industry is not is not is fraudulently reporting its numbers.
1: Well, Wall Street, and, the, and, Wall Street gets yet, paid on the other side of that, right? I mean, you can issue debt as long as you're uh, willing to suspend belief on a stated EBITDA number that's complete bullshit. I mean, we know. Yeah, that game, it's, right. it's it's amazing how so many components of the game, like whether it's the debt bubble, the TAM bubble, they're all actually all in, you know interconnected at this point. That's why I think, like, when people ask me about, you know, oh, it can't be the dot-com bubble, I'm like, it's absolutely not the dot-com bubble. Don't give it that compliment. This is way bigger, you know, and it's way more entrenched. And but- and, and it's an it's amazing thing to watch. It, it, it's an interesting thing. Now that you say, like, you compare the Tesla short to the IBM short, it's like, at least with Tesla... Nobody's debating if the company has any cash flow, right? I mean, there's like there's nothing. Whereas IBM is you're you're just pretending that you have a certain amount of cash flow, and, <laughs> and you, yeah, that's no, you do you do have their cash flow, but it's just declining. It's
2: just declining at a terminal rate. Yeah, and and uh, so so it's a little bit it's a different story. But uh, the the problem with uh, IBM again is that people are buying it as value, and they haven't really dug down under the numbers to realize it's actually not. Not what it says it is. It's half of what it says it is. IBM's not going out of business tomorrow. On the other hand, um, it is only half as profitable as they say it is.
1: Yeah, that's why I compared it again, just anecdotally to the GE short. I mean, it, melting ice cubes melt. Yep. I mean, and, and that stock price has obviously done uh Some questions here, if you don't mind, I'm just going to rattle off a couple. One that is actually one of the top-rated sure. questions. Um, uh, has to do a little bit with what people are probably. Thinking, well, well, it, aren't there any, you know, adults? Aren't there any like fun cops out there anymore? Sven from DC says, um, you know, "Do you think the SEC is too soft on companies? Is there an element of too big to fail on companies like Tesla, like even Tesla here?" Yeah.
2: Well, Sven, you're in Washington D.C. Why don't you Why don't you go 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 check? Um, I, look, I. I you know, I teach a course on the history of financial market fraud, as you know, up, up the road. And uh, this goes in cycles. And, and I've always said that the, uh, the, greatest, the greatest defense attorney and the harshest prosecutor for any, any publicly traded fraud is the stock price, yeah. in that, that people don't get upset and don't weigh in politically, some, i.e., something has to be done, throw the crooks in jail until they start losing money. Mm-hmm. And and the fraud cycle follows the financial cycle. It's one of the things I teach. And it's not until it turns down, and this goes back as long as there are financial markets, back 400 years, Keith, um, people don't, don't tighten up and, and begin to, uh, to worry about more regulation or legislation or prosecution until they start losing money. And once they start losing money, then, then there's a general change in, in, in the marketplace and in society that it's not my fault. I fell for this. It's the scoundrels who put me into Enron and Adelphia and Tyco and WorldCom, and, uh, and, and something has to be done. And so we see these waves of, 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 of outrage and, and legislation prosecution well after people have lost money. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, as old mm-hmm. as fina- that's as old as financial markets. Um, While things are going up, people suspend their sense of disbelief and they believe things like TAM that are too good to be true. And it's only later that we find out, you know, that not only were the the hopes and dreams
1: uh, incorrect, but that there was uh, theft and fraud going on. Yeah. I mean, that's uh, you just watch when Tesla was working on the short side. And, you know, back when uh, Portney was ripping, you know, ripping his hair out, yelling at Elon, you know people are going to lose their shit if this thing starts going down. That's why I say the catalyst is that the thing's actually starting to go down. Um, another question on this um, uh, on on this topic, and I think that this really has to do with people. A lot of people believe that you are going to be right big time on Tesla, me included. Um, uh, w- like, what short, Jim took? This is from Ashley in Minnesota. Uh, what short took for in your career took the longest to fully realize the game? Yeah.
2: Um- we had a bunch of shorts that that uh, on the whole, the Mike Milken Drexel complex in the in the 83, 84, 85, when we began to see what was going on with that, and that there was, there was a lot of financial fraud going on to the surface. And that didn't break until 89, uh, 90. So that was 567 years, where it you know, we went through a lot of volatility and a lot of the stocks went up a lot before they completely crashed. Um, certainly, uh, my foray into America Online was memorable. It was very Tesla-like. Um, that one we didn't we we got out at exactly the top, pretty much. Uh, after the stock went from eight to to eighty, um, I think it finally got bought out at a hundred, um, and then watched it co- you know basically torpedo two companies, AOL and Time Warner, and that was an accounting story, but it was also a TAM story while we were short it and. Right. Uh, And so, you know, nobody cared uh, until it stopped growing and then Time Warner bought them or they merged with Time Warner and then the the whole mess sunk Time Warner. Um, So we'll put that one in the sort of, you know, uh, undecided camp. Um, But this has been the longest in terms of, I I think, uh, you know, just just the length of time of which some of these stories where there's very clear problems uh, where the markets just shrugged it off. Um, the late '90s was. There were a couple of situations that like AOL, uh, but not as, as Keith said, not as many as today, uh, and most of them didn't really start getting crazy until '98, '99. So you had about a year and a half of pain, um, mm-hmm. in 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 those situations, and this is this has gone on much longer.
1: Yeah, this is uh, and this is the last question. Unfortunately, we got to wrap it up here. But um, and this it's amazing that I that I'm even asking this question that these are questions that like it's kind of like it's kind of the suspension of gravity type question. Uh, Ethan from Jakarta in Indonesia. Like what (laughs) what prevents fraudulent companies to be able to continuously raise capital either through selling debt or equity? What
2: prevents them? Well, I mean, nothing prevents them other than, I, mean, I, I shouldn't say that. Uh, and, and I don't know, maybe maybe Ethan from Indonesia is a fugitive from justice. We don't know. But uh, um, uh, nothing prevents them per se, uh, other than the marketplace, unless, of course, their, their law enforcement steps in or the regulators do step in, which is pretty rare, as I indicated. Yeah. Um, you have basically That happens on that generally happens after the fact, and so uh, I think that that the marketplace really it's either sort of all or nothing in these kinds of companies. They can either raise tons of money, like they are right now, um, or they can't raise money at all when the market shuts down for them. And there's sort of no middle ground. And we're in the we're in the phase right now where they can raise tons of money. And uh, if I was advising them and they had questionable business
1: plans. I would be telling them to uh to be raising as much money as they can that's exactly what happened with SPACs. like you said, four or five a day if you're going to keep the game going, authorities and establishment and the elite of Wall Street, you know, which went to school with you and i it's not like they're all really happy about this discussion by the way Jim, but um i think um i i I think we did well for the people today so thanks for thank thanks for uh, all your wisdom and and all your thoughts. I know everybody appreciates. It. I'm so happy to do this. Uh, Good luck uh, and thank you. All right. Thank you. He's the one and only Jim Chanos. A
0: real conversation that was. We'll be up next here in about 10 minutes. Thanks for listening to our podcast. As a reminder, new Hedgeye subscribers may qualify for a special discount on one of our Hedgeye investing products. Email customer service director Matt Moran at mmoran at hedgeye.com. That's M-M-O-R-A-N at hedgeye.com. This content is for informational purposes and does not constitute an offer to sell or buy any investment vehicle, nor does it constitute an investment recommendation or legal, tax, accounting, or investment advice. This information is presented without regard for individual investment preferences or risk parameters and is general, non-tailored, non-specific information. Hedgeye believes the information sources to be reliable but is not responsible for errors, inaccuracies, or omissions. The opinions expressed are those of the individual speaking. All investments entail a certain degree of risk, and financial instrument prices can fluctuate based on several factors, including those not considered in the preparation of the content. Consult your financial professional before investing. The information is protected by copyright laws and is intended solely for the use of its authorized recipient provided access by Hedgeye. Redistribution or republication is strictly prohibited and subject to the terms of service at hedgeye.com.